0: We have been playing Pokemon a fair bit, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> that might be an understatement. I, um, I mean, I, this is I, something that actually, we've been doing technically since
1: we were... 10 ev- years old? God, um, <laughs> two and a half, so, half decades almost. <laughs> I'm going to take a look at... Okay, so I, I kind of wish that the Nintendo Switch gave as much detail as uh, Steam... Because Steam tells you down to the hour how much you've played. Well, I mean, it tells you down to the minute how much you've played. Uh, But obviously, if you've played for hours, it just drops. I mean, it it rounds off the, you know, the minutes are not significant at the point. Um, On the Nintendo Switch, it tells you um, it's not as specific. It says that I have played Pokemon Violet for 135 hours or more. Or more? Um, so I don't know what that or more means. Right. Um, it says I've played PLA, Pokemon Legends Arceus, for 10 hours or more. Okay. Um, rather miserably, actually. Um, I have played Tetris 99, 155 hours or more. (laughs) Yeah, so... That's fair. Yeah. And for comparison, I think, um... Civilization 6. Yes. I have played 895 hours. On the Switch? Steam, Steam, Steam. Oh, Steam. I would okay, go sorry. nuts if I was playing on, on, on the Switch. <laughs> because, I yes. mean, it exists on the Switch, but... yeah, um, oh, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, Civilization 6 does exist on the Switch, but it is kind of...
0: Janky? I, I don't know if
1: it's janky, because, I mean, I'm... I I follow, you know, the Civilization subreddits. Yeah. Um and you do get posts from people who play on the Switch, but it's more limited because I don't know if they have access to mods. And right. Civ Six is a very um mod friendly game. I see, I see. So you get things like um firstly they're just UI enhancements, right? Yes. That make it easier for you to keep track of what's going on in the game because there's a lot going on in the game. Then I mean
0: arguably too much going on in the game really in Civ. I think Sometimes
1: That I think maybe that's why it famously has a learning curve. Um right. I started with Civ4. When I mm. when I started with Civ4, I know we we were starting with Pokemon, but this is Monkey Mind. So <laughs> we're talking about something else now. Um since I started I started with Civ4, I the tutorial yes and the tutorial walks you through the mechanics right of like how do you move on the on the map how do you build something um, some very basic you know principles like you have civilians if they leave your territory they should be escorted um, that kind of thing all that all that stuff but it doesn't tell you the um, I guess it doesn't tell you the the it tells you mechanically how to play the game, but right. it doesn't tell you strategically how to play the game, right? Yes. And yes. Civ is a strategic game. Yes. So um it doesn't say for example what's a good what makes a a city location a good location. Right? Yeah. And yep. so f- for example I did not understand this when I started playing. So in the tutorial game, I settled um, a, a city somewhere, I can't remember, God knows what, and it it grew and then it shrank. Right. And it shrank down to like size two, which is, I think, is just about the bare minimum. Right. right? I mean, you can alternate between one and two. At size one, the city will always grow, at least in Civ four. And then it will go to size two and then it will drop back down. And then I was like, <laughs> "Why? Why is this happening? Why is not my city growing?" Blah blah blah. So, um, yeah. In the end, then you know, I asked a friend who also plays Civ Four, and he was like, "Uh, it's mostly city placement." I was like, "Yeah, but what? What? What makes a good city placement?" Right. So, <laughs> you know, you kind of learn. Figure it out. Over time, I don't know how many hours I have in Civ 4 because the problem with Civ 4 that I have is that um, I. The very first time I started playing it, uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't buy it through Steam. So those hours are not tracked. Ah, okay, okay. So I have a lot of hours in Civ 4, but I don't know how many. Right. So it's like. Level 1 Magikarp. Sorry. (laughs) So it's like. I mean, that's. That's totally fine. Um, no, this I mean, this I is like, me uh, kind of
0: in the middle of several surprise trades right now. Yeah, so I,
1: I kind of I just wonder.
0: I just got a Dino, <laughs> another one.
1: Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> I it it took me because I've never seen that name spoken. I was like, like what? Oh, okay. oh, yes, of course. Uh, I fine right?
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> it's a very fun. I, I like this name actually. Yeah, I mean, you know those Thresh and hydragon. right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, oh, I didn't wait, 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 Articuno? Oh my god! Yeah,
0: I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't yeah. even register for me until now. Twenty-five years
1: later, yes, yes, twenty-five! Oh
0: my god! <laughs> no way!
1: Yeah, what? Yes, jeez! Okay, yeah. what well, the Articuno, other surprising one was? Um, that someone those? pointed this out. Maltris, yeah. Um,
0: uh, Mega evolution uh-huh. and then uh, 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 Giga. What's it called? Uh, so the 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 sort of the Mega special moves,
1: Giga uh, Dyna. I'm yeah. I don't know. Yes.
0: And then now Terra Stol, So next one will be Peter something.
1: Ah, oh, oh, that's cool. I was wondering yes. where like Terra. Like I mean, like Terra Stol, It. I mean, you. I okay. So I think where my, what I was oh, unsure about with. Yeah, I was right. thinking like okay because Mega. Giga, those are yes. kind of part of our regular vocabulary. Yes. But Terra, I mean, with the lone exception of terabyte, right? Yes. It's not really, you know, like you would say like, oh, I am Giga, I mean, I'm mega tired, maybe. Right? <laughs> yes, but you don't is nice. I'm teratired. <laughs> so, we should, we, we should, yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like double plus tired, yes, right? Plus <laughs> it's two, like, yes. so... Okay, um, I, I'm curious about the all the level one um, trades because I, I understand right when you get a level one Charmander that this is somebody who got the Charizard raid, yes, and then bred the Charmander, and that makes yes. sense to me because you know that's something valuable. Um, who is out there breeding Magikarp?
0: uh someone who wants a perfect IV Gyarados without cheating well i mean cheating cheating in, in, in you know my 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 definition of cheating right because okay uh,
1: Let, it, let's it, it, also okay, establish okay. what we mean by cheating here because okay <laughs> um getting it, perfect uh, pokemon has become a lot easier in recent games so to be to be precise yes to be um, precise we are talking about in-game, you can use Bottle Caps, right? Okay, wait, Are wait, we so, considering so, Bottle Caps cheating? Wait, oh, wait, hang on. I'm sure considering
0: Bottle Caps cheating. So okay. the thing about this is that, you know, this is something that obviously we've been doing, well, I've been doing since Gen 1. All right, I don't
1: have since, the patience for it. Since
0: yeah. breeding was first introduced, which is not, I think, Gen 2 onwards. But basically, Gen 2, yeah. I really got into, into this whole breeding thing, I think, uh, with um, some of the more recent versions. But basically, you know, as with any game, you're doing builds, right? And each Pokemon can be its own build, and so you want to have an ideal nature. You mm-hmm. want to have ideal effort values. You want to have ideal uh, individual values as well, so that you can basically min max a Pokemon, <clears throat> right? And so in the past, before the introduction of bottle caps, before the introduction of mints, you had to do this by breeding, which meant that um, okay, the, the there is a very long page on this on Bubblepedia. Breeding is a very complicated. Yeah, process. I
1: mean, it is. It is very complicated. I I think what my kind of question about yes. about it. I'm I'm also um, kind of jumping. Um, I, I guess I'm I'm kind of jumping ahead and assuming that everybody who's listening no. <laughs> has a vague idea of what Pokemon is, God. right? Because like, where where do we, you know, if you assume what rock did you, <laughs> you, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like. It, not everybody is going to have the context of Pokemon. It's like, oh, well, what is Pokemon breeding? What are Ivies? Wow. Um I, I
0: think what I've discovered is that I think a lot of younger people have no conception of the first three generations.
1: Yes. I mean, I think that's natural. Yes. Um, Which
0: is, yes, the past is the past.
1: Right. And I think <laughs> then there's a whole other discussion about um, what games get, you know, imprinted. <laughs> um, yeah. it's It's a kind of like... I, I think that, you know, because we started playing Pokemon with the Gen 1, right? Yes. And so, Black Gen... Black and
0: white. Before
1: there was color. I, I I thought you were referring to a generation for a second. No. I was very before confused. Before there was color. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, my first um, Game Boy was a Game Boy Color, so I right. did. But, <clears throat> but, I mean, red and blue yes. uh, are not technically color games. So, if no, you play but... on a GBC, you just get like a light shading. Yes. Yeah, um, so it's like you know Gen One. It's obviously from a quality of life point of view, it's not great. Like you know, you don't have like the select button for the bicycle. You no, have you to. Think. There's a lot of, you know, extra steps to do, like cut down a tree or to surf or whatever. Um, and, but the thing is, I think the game makes sense and is fun in a way that I don't think a modern player, right, who has never played Pokemon before, would find acceptable. Right. Right. Yes. So I think a new player who's starting today would be much more, um, would be much more willing or would, would enjoy, you know, gen, the Switch games more.
0: <clears throat> right. So, I mean, what, what we have obviously seen with the generations is that tweaks have been made to the fundamental mechanics to make certain things easier and to make certain things less complicated, shall we say? So, HMs. Yeah. Yes, right? yes. Up until mm, the more recent gens, an HM was a move that was difficult to delete. Yes. Um, that had to had to eat up a slot in a Pokemon move think moveset.
1: that's my biggest complaint about <clears throat> Gen 2, which I still think is... Huh. A very good generation. If right. not the best, but very, very good.
0: Well, that's because Flash was useless. Rock Smash sucked. The only useful HMs were... Whirlpool. Surf. Whirlpool was complete ass. <laughs> Surf. Uh, later on in the games, Waterfall became extremely useful because Waterfall is one of the few, was one of the very few physical water moves.
1: Yes. Although um, in Gen 2, I mean, you kind of have the constraint that you still want a well-rounded team... Um, if you have a HM uh, self Lapa. if you have a HM slave, um, Yes. you're you're essentially sacrificing one of your, you know, six Pokemon. i.e. And What? (laughs) or Oh, yes. Yes, exact. Yeah, I mean, it's like, that's the, that's the, that's your HM slave. Uh, Or like, yeah, or from Gen 3 onwards, you have Bidoof. Bidoof, Um, yes.
0: Because Bidoof is water type. Yes, correct. Yeah.
1: So basically you are you you kind of have to find a way to either distribute the HMs in a way that doesn't impact your choice of team, but it will impact your (coughs) move set or Yes. Yeah. And I mean it's just not great. But that's from a gameplay perspective. I think that's the problem of Gen 2. Otherwise I'm very happy with it.
0: Right, but then, so this, I think this change began with Sun and Moon, I believe.
1: It was well after I, I I kind of, so the the history, which obviously you know, but um, my history of Pokemon is that I played Gens 1, 2, 3, quite, like, several, you know, times over. (laughs) Um, I played Gen 4 once, I I think Ah. it was Platinum I played, Uh, I mean, I can double check that. But I played like one game of Gen 4. I didn't really enjoy it. Kind of stopped. Um, and then with the Switch games, it was sufficiently interesting. I was like, should I should buy a Switch to play. Let's it's go It's also e. because you
0: have a Switch, right? You didn't have a 3DS. Of I DS. did not have...
1: I had a DS, but not a 3DS. Oh, okay. okay. But on the DS, I never had any Pokemon games. Right, right, right. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess with a DS... Um... Okay, so there's the other thing, <laughs> which is that when I had a Game Boy uh, Color, I played red on it. I yes. played um, a Japanese version of I want to say silver on it. Okay, it was kind of miserable because you don't know what's going on. Yes, um, I mean you can guess. But you can guess, right? But that's you up- an
0: additional layer of cognitive processing that you have to. <laughs> Yes, like, correct. And
1: okay, I, I I seem to recall that the problem was like, you get to Whitney and you oh just yes. have no idea what's going on because you <laughs> have to read when... Because Whitney is the normal baby, type yes. gym, right? And she has a mill tank that uses yes. rollout. Yes. And if you can't read the text, you have no clue why you keep dying. Yes. You, have no <laughs> so, clue why you lose a little bit of HP density. The
0: HP loss just jumps like crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Whitney, I think, was one of the first ever gyms that was like, holy Holy hell, hell, this is tough. Right? Yeah. (laughs) So, um, and then many... Are are, are there any
0: other gyms that have matched this level of difficulty as Whitney?
1: So, it depends. If you're talking about casual gameplay, um, uh, I don't know. Cynthia's Garchomp. Oh yeah again, I played gen four once, so uh, yes. I can't really right. say, but I mean it does um come up i think the other one is uh if you are playing gen two and you reach the end of the game uh and you meet red red red, oh, Snorlax. red hellishly
0: difficult yes yeah I remember the first time yeah
1: yeah so there's there's that um other than that in between like from gen five through gen eight like I have no recollection. Because I mean right. I, I didn't do it, so then the because I did not um, ever play Pokemon games on a DS, um, right? So DS you would start a lot with of Gen Four
0: change that yeah. came with those as well, yeah. Correct.
1: So there's there's a whole bunch of that, and even on, um, even um, Ruby Sapphire and Emerald, uh, right. I <clears throat> did not play on original hardware. Ah, I see. Okay, um, we shall not delve deeper into that. Yeah, which is also a big part of the reason why I missed the 3ds. Um, right period of time. Yeah, the
0: 3ds had remarkable longevity. Well, no, I mean to be fair, it was loved to to the DS. So, well, at yeah. least I've loved it because of the DS. So I've not really made that differentiation. But yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like um, then with a Switch because the Switch is okay well the let's go EV um was the game that made me want to buy a switch then uh i eventually got a switch but for a very long time the only things i did clearly were tetris 99 <laughs> <coughs> yes. 155 hours and um ring fit that was the other one i still have i still do not own let's go EV or let's go fit. pikachu oh okay. yep. Yeah, I've completed a ring fit, actually. Like so. Okay, this um, is strange.
0: Sorry, yeah. I just got a froakie in a surprise crate, but it has a lock symbol on it. I've not seen this before. I have to go and look it up. Anyway. What is a, Yes.
1: A lock symbol, okay.
0: Um on the on the box page on the top right of the icon, there is a there is a lock on it. I don't know why. Interesting. I'm, I'm gonna Google this very quickly. But yes, as yeah. you were. Sorry. We'll yeah. get back to breeding at some point.
1: <laughs> uh yeah, so I mean I think for me, um <clears throat> because when we talk about, you know, not playing on original hardware, right, it is actually quite hard to do that on the three DS. Like so or it's, it's it's hard to do that um with three DS games, shall we say, which also is probably a part of the reason why I kind of missed that section of it. Right. Um Yeah. So I'm kind of just getting back into into it with Gen Nine. And um I mean there are there are some things that I kind of I, I definitely like not having to waste a move on HMs. That's yes. one part of so it. So
0: this this was sort of this mechanic was changed I think with with uh, Sun and Moon, where you could then summon HM Pokemon to call H M Pokemon to, to to ferry you around. It was right. uh, discontinued with this latest version, because I suspect it might have taken up way too much processing time to actually show you on a Tauros. Oh, actually, well, now I mean, they have Meridon. This is mechanic, so that's fair. But it's like, uh, if you wanted to fly, you could summon a Braviary, then you'd, you'd hang glide on the Braviary, or you you would uh, uh ride on the Tauros or something like that. So that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, There's they still of, have it on uh, no, um, PLE, right? Yeah, P L E. yeah. That's true. It's But, okay, so yes, yeah, so the mechanics have been tweaked over the generations, which is very interesting. It shows, obviously, that they're thinking about what's become a burden, what what can we make easier, but the breeding mechanic has been made significantly easier over time, and it's sort of taken away a lot of the challenge uh, of, of sort of uh, building uh, sort of combat-ready or, you know, in, in, in modern... Uh, the modern generation's raid-ready uh, Pokemon as well. Um, and that's because, okay... I'm going to run you very quickly through the mechanics of breeding pokemon, which is very complicated. <clears throat> well I mean not that complicated, but it's, it's sufficiently complicated. So in order for a pokemon to inherit a nature from a parent, right okay, first things f- first and foremost, uh, if you have two pokemon that are breeding compatible, the resultant egg will inherit the species of the mother Mm-hmm. So if say you found a male dino. And you don't have a ditto, then you're shit out of luck. You can't breed it, right? Right. But if you have a female Dino and you breed it with, say, a male Charmander, you'll get a female Dino. You'll get a Dino as a as as uh, in the egg, which is great, right? right. So that's one thing. Now, uh, it used to be, I think, in earlier versions, that nature was not inherited, or maybe it was. I can't remember. But basically, inheriting nature's uh, was a mechanic that was tweaked fair number of times in the various versions but to inherit natures now the the parent that holds an everstone will pass its nature on to the offspring
1: ah okay I did not know that
0: yes so the everstone needs to be held by the parent with the favourable nature so the offspring will inherit this is 100% if I'm not mistaken okay right it used to be 80% chance now it's 100% chance Um, and then about IVs uh, IVs, you previously couldn't see it until I cannot remember which version. I think it began with the black and whites or X right. and Y. No, I think it was X and Y where you could see the actual IV values. Right. Right. Up until X and Y, I think you could only get a sense of what they were based on the, the descriptor text in the Pokemon. Um, you know, like, oh, it likes you, spicy food or it's spicy. The...
1: Right. Or there is like the stats judge sometimes, but uh, it no, doesn't. I think
0: that came in only fairly late. So that that's what I'm talking about. The stats judge only was introduced, I think, in X and Y.
1: Um, the stats judge is in the thing that where you can actually see like. So okay, to be to be specific, right? We have the stats judge, which is it has like a hexagon that shows you like you know HP, yes. attack, defense, special attack, special defense, and speed, right? And then it you can see the IVs and you can see the uh, EVs, or maybe yes. it, it, EVs, will, it will yes. it will it will tell you like you know um, decent, fantastic, no good or whatever. Um, but I think in previous generations, like there is usually somebody that you can talk to who will give to... you
0: like cryptic clues.
1: So it's like yes. your
0: speed is very good. So in that, it'll give you one stat and give yeah. you the best stat basically.
1: Yeah. Right. So yeah.
0: <clears throat> so okay, making the stats more transparent means that it's easier to min-max in the game. Mm, yeah. Right? Uh, but even then, and this still continues to be the case, if you want to breed Pokemon with perfect IVs, there is still an element of randomness. Because even if you have, say, parents with perfect IVs, the only way for the offspring to inherit perfect IVs is to give one parent a destiny knot. And right. offspring will then inherit five Right of the IVs of the parent of either parent, so it's right. a random draw. So <clears throat> when it comes then down to this, then it becomes a very breeding. Then becomes a very interesting uh, statistical problem, right? Right. The combinatorics of it is, and and the statistics of it is very interesting because then it becomes a question of, okay, first you know if I have say a parent say a ditto that I you know I got in a, a five star rate that has four perfect IVs, uh huh, right. And two imperfect IVs, and then I have another parent with two perfect IVs. It will still only draw five IVs from either parent, right. and then the last IV is going to be a random one. Right. Right. So there is that level of statistical, you know, you have to do multiple multiple rolls essentially, multiple eggs, and then yeah. hopefully you get one with with, with the desired ideal stats. And this is why you will often get the 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 breeding rejects in surprise traits. Right. Right, which will often serve as a very good seed to begin your own breeding cycles.
1: Right, yes. because they will be close. Um, they will have ideally. some. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some
0: will. Some of them will have you know like three perfect IVs, and then yeah. you know three really shitty IVs, and then if it doesn't matter to you, that's fine. Or some of them will have perfect IVs but the wrong nature somehow. I don't know why, right? Um, but uh, the breeding offcuts. cuts. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Yeah, but it so it, it it becomes very interesting in that you know it it becomes a fun uh, mathematical problem to me at least to, to think about okay what is the path of least resistance or what is the quickest path to get a fully optimized Pokemon
1: uh, right yeah so I think this is probably because you in previous generations you were already doing it <laughs> so I've done um, this but also because I like the thinking about you know the, the probability and the statistics and the math. The thing is, even if I like doing the thinking about it, I, I don't think I have the patience to actually <laughs> do the breathing. That is fair. So, yeah, which then comes back to, okay, I don't really care about... <laughs> I don't really care about, you know, not using bottle caps or mints right. or... um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, but I, I guess so, I'm okay, not familiar with... You haven't
0: explained bottle caps. So, bottle caps now allow you i think bottle caps were introduced also in x and y uh where you can basically just max out the individual value the iv of a of a particular stat of a particular pokemon using a bottle cap and the bottle cap trainer right so that gets over the <coughs> sorry it gets over the hurdle of getting a, uh, of having a pokemon with a subpar individual value oh individual values are also important because it governs the um the type of your hidden power Mm, yes, the move hidden power, but which I don't think is in uh scarlet mm, and violet not in
1: scarlet and violet
0: right but yes there's the, the 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 there is an equation that that determines what your hidden power uh, move type will be depending on the spread of individual values as well, which was very interesting and very often used in competitive battling to provide coverage because I think every Pokemon can learn hidden power
1: right. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking. Hidden power is from Gen two, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. But it was used differently. I I don't know. But yeah, hidden power. Yeah. Did hidden power originate unknown? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Anyway, um. Yes. <laughs> I think so. The question that I have is because I don't do competitive, you know, battling. Neither do I. And I'm not hung up about you know trying to get the perfect Pokemon. Um right. And I have no, you know, compunction about using battle caps or battle caps, bottle caps or yes. mints. Um, yes. Yeah. So I think my kind of question is, so my understanding is that for, with bottle caps, right? They don't actually, they don't change the IVs. They set nope. a flag, right? To say that, to say that this... The IV is perfect. Yes. yes. The IV is perfect.
0: So if you breed a Pokemon it's a hyper but fundamentally got shitty IVs, yes. then those IVs are going to Yeah. Yeah. And I think Oh sorry I know what the lock means. The lock means it's already been committed to a trade. Ah
1: uh, Yes. Sorry. Okay. Interesting. Anyway, as we were saying, sorry. Yeah. So I I I'm not sure like in competitive um battling um are you allowed to use... I'm, I'm thinking, how, how does the, this work? I guess because competitive battling is, is still tied to a generation, right? So, like, you know, you have a... You know, in this case, Gen 9, you would have a Scarlet of Violet game, and then you would have a Pokemon that is in that game, right? And then yep. you do the battle with it. I, I mean, I guess... The rule set would depend. La. I mean, it depends because yes. competitive battling is, you know, is a is a made up sport, right? Like, I mean you can which decide. Sport isn't to be fair, yeah. But. I mean, you can you can decide like okay, um, for this category we're gonna allow bottle caps. We are not going to, you know, yes. Pokemon has to be, have to be bred. Also, I think a lot of the competitive
0: battling, uh, there is like a separate league outside of this that's played online. Yeah. And as in there, there is like the official, <clears throat> sorry, Nintendo endorsed ones, but there's also like side, uh, platforms that that do some sort of competitive battling things.
1: Right. Right.
0: Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like I said, I have no. So the um, rules can vary
0: depending. Well, what so what was getting at is that rules can vary depending on where you're playing it. Yeah. Whether you're playing on one of those uh, online things, platform yeah. things, or whether you're playing an official Nintendo-sanctioned uh, 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 competitive battling service.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, like I was saying, I don't... I don't really... That's fair. You know, okay, I mean, okay, yeah.
0: yes, yes. I, I completely see, you know, how it's much more convenient, but in my case, I don't know. It's Obviously, it's irrational. It's very clearly irrational, but it's, you know, it, it, I like the fun and the unpredictability of, of breeding.
1: Okay, you know what that is? I, I have decided... <laughs> because um am i am i am i damaged <laughs> I mean that's a separate discussion that's true um because okay surprise trading which we are both doing right now yes is um i think last night i called it a form oh of God. legalized gambling for children It's a high Right, you you keep you're like the next one will be a good one, the yes. next one will be a good one. So That's you right. keep trying, and then you keep getting these potato Pokemon. Um, right, like I'm is, sending is over there a potato and potato Pokemon. That's a good question. I mean, there's I an olive Pokemon so. now, so I mean, you know, eventually when they set a game in, in Idaho. I All know. the Andes, yeah. <laughs> Zorua. The oh whole Pokemon is going to have a lot of races, but <laughs> oh dear. Okay, okay, okay. Um. So yeah, you you keep thinking like, and then the next one's going to be the good one. Yes. Right. Yes. Um. Like yesterday, I got a drift blim. Uh, uh, sorry, drift loon, I Not I Don't blim.
0: have a drift loon, God
1: damn it. Yeah. So I'll oh, get myself oh, this a is
0: very good. Uh, near perfect stat free Coco. Modest nature. Oh, that's nice. Oh, okay. I'm keeping this one. <laughs> I'm to trade away all my other yeah. free
1: I'm, I'm basically really only um, looking for... To fill out the Pokedex. Uh, uh, yes, so, but
0: I'm also looking for like, you know... I mean, if someone sends over something that's clearly very good, I'm not going to throw it away.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, yes. 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 So, so, but it's, it's it...
0: something I already have. Because my current skeleton is actually not... Optimal. It's jolly for one, so my special attack is actually lower than normal than uh, what I want. Because jolly <sighs> is high speed, low special attack. It's
1: a Chinese Lechonk <laughs> that Jesus. I just
0: got. So it's Syoba. Uh
1: ha ha. it's uh, <laughs> CH Ch- Taiwanese Chinese. Actually. Oh, is it Oh, okay. Um, because yeah, I'm I'm assuming that that's what that means. Because it's a CHT. Right. Um, oh, I've never
0: seen C H T. Okay. I've seen uh, uh, EU Spanish versus I think probably South American Spanish. Yeah. EUSP yeah. versus SP I think is it's right. German. Yeah. The German names are really uh, great, fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Avalog is Actilas. Uh huh. You know, where, where was that? Uh, where was that? What well, yesterday that we were
1: trading? Woodpile. Wood. Woodpilts. Woodpile. Broodbonnet. Okay. Yeah. Woodpilz is um, essentially uh, rage mushroom. <laughs> very
0: yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> that's fascinating. Uh,
1: it's a oh, it's a Chinese flamingo, flamingo. Flamingo, right? Yes. Um. Yeah, I, I was going to say something, but I forgot. Yeah, but okay. So, like I said, it's legalized gambling, right? It is very much so. Surprise trading. So, I think that is the same of breeding. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. I. I mean, you, when you put it that way, it feels bad. But yes.
1: Right. You're like the next egg will be a good one. <laughs> and then you've
0: you've already got twenty eggs sitting in the box. It's yep. like, yes. It's the next egg. Oh my God! These are mystery packets. <laughs> right. These are mystery. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, what have I become? Okay. That, I that makes sense. don't know. That makes sense. German w- woodpeckers. Uh, I don't have that many German. Uh,
1: Traits I have CHS it's... CHS I am assuming is uh...
0: Simplified Chinese Oh uh, Chinese,
1: Simplified. Simplified Chinese Traditional. Yeah. yeah Okay That makes sense There we go right. Yeah I just got a CHS Another Lechonk Really? Uh, oh that's, that's not I'm great i am well, a lot well, of Lechonks How so many le-chonks. It's a Lechonk in a Is that a Duskabal? Oh that's yeah I like it with
0: I mean uh, that's true that's, yeah, that's, So check the stats Maybe it's a It's a min-maxed Lechonk
1: uh, No Whatever that means And no uh, uh, I mean uh, there uh, are two uh, If you're uh, wondering uh, uh, Like I have Two Lechonks right. Um, I mean this. There's, there's a Tatsugiri That obviously somebody's Trying to min-max Because there's four out of six perfect
0: Ah uh, But is Tatsugiri even that good?
1: It's a bit of Okay, we've stopped talking mate. about important things. We're just talking about... We're just talking about <laughs> Pokemon. It's fine. It's fine. Okay, but I think um, the the impetus for this, I mean, for me at least, is I'm trying to fill out the Pokedex, right? And yes. the surprise trades are... Uh, okay, so where I'm at with my own Pokedex is... Um, as of yesterday, I have All Obtainable in Violet alone. Right, anything wow. that is, uh, which okay. So yesterday we met and we traded palafin. Yes. Which you got in a raid, which I did not know was possible. Yes. Um, but you have sloking, which I didn't know was possible in a raid. Ah uh, yeah, yeah. That's I was not expecting. Yeah, I did not. Um, my 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 plan was to figure out you know how to finagle sloking through, um, some combination. Uh, well, through a trade essentially, because I have a king's rock. Uh, which yes. I don't remember where you get it, but I um, do not remember that either. But yeah, yeah. And King Gambit is possible in a you can you can do it in game. Uh, you yes. don't need to trade for it, yes. but I got it in a raid as well. As in, I I, s- I found it in a raid. Yeah. So Same. um So, I think yesterday before we met and traded Palafin I se- three hundred and seventy. Oh, well, um,
0: 367 I think
1: yeah so it's I, I believe it is everything that's possible in only Violet right um, for the remaining and that's because
0: you have all four of the legendaries I only have one of the legendaries so yes
1: far. yes uh, yeah that probably makes up the the three
0: <laughs> and plus the olive the middle olive yeah so I should be one ahead of you
1: um
0: let me see because I'm 367 you're at 371 370 so we should be on par if
1: no we are okay now. How many do I have? Because you traded me wood pilts and Vodpilz uh, and scream tail, scream tail. Yeah, I have three seven six now.
0: Okay, okay, three seven six yeah. seen or three seven six owned? Owned. Okay, okay.
1: Yeah, um, I mean I'm
0: clearly missing a few because I've been lazy and I don't have a. I have toe but I haven't traded up to a. I haven't evolved it yet. I haven't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Tasugiri is a—it's uh, a bit of a gimmick. It is a
0: gimmick, but it—I mean—it's got a cute design, but it's like it's a, you know it—it doesn't evolve. So uh, I'm usually very leery of those. Although,
1: I mean, they—they they have their purposes. Yes. But not do. many of them can be. Not many of them are really like general purpose. I mean, I would say I would make the argument that a Flamigo is a. Decent general purpose Pokemon, even if you're not speedrunning. Because mm. um, you can get something that is more optimal, right? But you're talking about this is a single stage Pokemon with high base stats. Yes. Favorable typing. Yes. Uh, and moves that you can get relatively easily that are very useful throughout the game. Double kick. Yep. Ah, Phalanx i mean incidentally failings i mean I'm glad this is not a Gen nine Pokemon because i don't know how I would feel if it was introduced oh, in feelings a, indeed. yeah <laughs> if it was introduced in uh in a game based on Spain that would n- n- not oh be good in my opinion right yeah oh well mm.
0: The okay, the the tie in the ties into Spain have been very interesting, but some of them have been a bit inexplicable. I still don't understand what the hell Espatra is.
1: As uh, es, I don't know what Espatra is meant to be as a Pokemon, because I don't know about ostriches. But Espada is a um, sword in Spanish. What? Yeah. Okay, but I. Oh, but what? why is it an ostrich? I don't know. A fabric ostrich. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is
0: there is there some cultural thing that I'm missing here? Ostriches are. Uh, I Africa. doubt it.
1: I I, I, doubt I don't it. get it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, some... o- just about the only other thing that I can think of is that um, in in bullfighting, right? I mean, well, uh... you have the sword, but that has nothing to do with ostriches. No. No, that's absolutely fuck all to do with ostriches. So I don't know.
0: <laughs> it's a good question, one that I don't have an answer to. But yes. So, yeah. we were going to talk about the maths of the surprise trade, right?
1: I mean, I guess you can think of it as as, as maths, um, but I'm... Yeah, the thing about surprise trading is that my initial question, right, was... Um, if you want to kind of encourage people to do surprise trades and, you know, send... Good Pokemon, right? Uh, no, about. I don't think the
0: goal is for people to send good stuff. It's just for people to just, you know, it's 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 gambling, right? So it's I, it's I a, it's agree. A, it's I think
1: I think the mechanism is 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 not to reward people who you know no. who are making trades in. I I don't want to say making yeah I don't want to say making trades in good faith because it's not that these are bad faith trades, right? It's no. more that. It's more that There are no rules It's not, it's not like yeah. anyone said. Like, wow, you only have to send out good stuff No, it's
0: like yeah. Whatever you have Just send it out And you know If you're lucky You'll get something good It's like yeah. It's, it's up trading right? <laughs> So
1: I think There are There, there are two um, Interesting perspectives On this One is the economic View Yes Which yep. is This is a double-sided market Right? Yes. Oh, this is a market I mean uh, double-sided It's a barter It's, um, oh, it's a completely open barter in in this particular case, yeah. It's a, b- a double-blind yeah. barter. I, I, no, it's a single-blind, sorry. It's a, it's a blinded barter. It is a barter in a sense that you're always trading one-to-one, but typically yes. in a barter, the negotiation comes... It's Barters are not surprises. True, yes. Right, like yes. You, you need something and somebody else has it. You yeah. have something, somebody else needs it. And then you, you do that trade. So almost by definition, they're not surprises. But I think... Um, and I, I guess the expectation is that, you know, if you do these random traits enough, then the, uh, eventually the Pokemon that people want get taken out of circulation, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, the, that's one way to look at it. But the, the other reason why I think the surprise traits makes much more sense than trying to constrain, like, okay, trying to match... Like, oh, okay, you sent over an Ancient Paradox, I'm going to try and match you up with a with a Future Paradox Pokemon. Um, which obviously is... You know, if somebody is sending Ancient Paradoxes, the like-for-like the, the like match, right, would be um, a Future Paradox from Which would presume there is a
0: ranking algorithm, but that's obviously difficult uh, beyond very specific use cases.
1: So I think... Um, I mean... In a sense, in some cases, because, okay, I'm, I'm thinking of, you what, have pseudo your...
0: Pseudo-legendaries to pseudo-legendaries, paradox to paradox,
1: and then trash. Because the thing is, for Pokemon that you can find in the wild, right? Yeah. The version exclusives, they're always in the same yeah. areas. True. Right? So you match up area by area, then those would be kind of like, quote-unquote, equivalents. Right. right
0: Which I mean It's clearly not What they're doing here but It is it, not what they're
1: doing But I think huh. The reason for that Is um, If you want to bring down The time it takes To complete a trade You don't want as many Pokemon in the pool As possible Because If I want to trade You know An iron bundle Right now They're not going to Wait around um, yeah. For somebody to Trade a Tail back
0: right so but see that's assuming that it's a pulled system but which also is not what they're doing here Right? this is a one-to-one trade where it's you have something to, basically it's a matching system where you just match a, a, a trader with a trader and it happens as a handshake so it's not a pulled system where you send something and then you'll draw something from the pool
1: yeah yeah no exactly so that's the that's actually the the problem right yeah. which is that you need two people to be doing it at almost the same time Yes. Right, and so you're, you you there's very little guarantee that at any given time the matching Pokemon will be available, and so it becomes yeah. a, okay. Let's just maximize the number of um, trades that we can match. You know, the, the throughput essentially. Let's actually, just... now that I
0: think about it, they actually did implement something like this um, um, in one of the earlier versions. Uh, I mean, one of the the later but earlier versions. Later, where but it, was, um, it wasn't surprise trading? Oh, I mean, they had surprise trading, but this was the trading system was where I would put something I just out. I
1: Have to and- report that my, my, my Chinese is not great, but uh-huh. froki in Chinese is a gua gua chi wa.
0: <laughs> that's a, Which is yeah, like that's quite funny. What is that <laughs> it's like cro- uh, croaking uh, it's, it's pool on the peak. Yeah, on the pond frog. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Very good. Um, so one of the earlier tra- uh, versions, the the way trading, I think, was this X and Y as well. I think X and Y was interesting because of the innovations they they brought into the picture. But how it was done was you would put up a Pokemon for trade, and then you would put conditions on what the the ongoing uh. trade would be. And then if someone saw something that they liked and they met your conditions, like say I want to trade a Scyther for a Haunter. Okay. And the Haunter must be between level 50 to level 100 and so on and so forth. Then it would go through. So there was, it was a, you put your Pokemon in the pool. The pool was visible uh, to every other player. And then if you met the conditions of the person initiating the trade, you could continue with the trade.
1: Right. And I mean, I'm sure there are fan made um, communities that are doing something similar. Like, that's almost a guarantee. Yes. Um, I'm sure
0: some of this is coordinated. I mean, there was some attempt to coordinate actual link trading as well uh, on Reddit, but I don't know how far that went. A frokey for a frokey. God. Yes, I have been getting a series of complete garbage. Yeah. I got shroomish, then I had a. Uh,
1: I got a shroomish last night as well. Which I traded for a golden goal.
0: Which is illegal in Singapore, by the way. You cannot trade shroomish. Uh,
1: <laughs> shroomish for money. Jeez. <laughs>
0: shroomish beyond a certain uh mass is illegal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, well okay. So speaking speaking of that, I think this is the other interesting thing because if you think about it as a market, right? Yes. Um I mean if you 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 kind of classic market problem. I mean you, this is what a stock exchange is or any exchange. Yes. Uh, yes. You have buyers, you have sellers and the price is essentially the price at which people are willing to buy and sell, right? Because the yes. people who are not willing to let go of it at that price are not selling and the people who are not willing to buy it at that price are not buying. And so the actual exchange and then basically the the price of the exchanges are public and that's how you get a stock exchange uh and yeah. that's also how you get the price of a, of a of a stock and i think um because you have money as a medium of exchange right that's it's it's that it's that um it becomes the equalizer of like okay i i want to sell this stock and i want to buy that stock and the difference in the value of those two things is captured in money. But if you were to do that with Pokemon, now you have a huge problem yes. because it's no longer legalized gambling. It's essentially... It's gambling. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not no. gambling. It's um, you're right. buying and selling. What's the wait? Yeah, it's buying. You're, you're buying and <laughs> selling Pokemon now. You're right. You're essentially Comverse. saying that. Yeah, it's commerce, which I think um, (laughs) then presents a whole new... (sighs) It's very different from... um, It's a can of uh, (laughs) Wurmbles. Yeah, yeah, it's a can of (laughs) Wurmbles. And I I think when I say that it's legalized gambling, there's still one difference from... Because, you know, um, you get drop boxes from um, some games where it's like, you know, if you are... Play. If you play a game enough, eventually you get a drop box. You open or the drop loot box, crate. Or, yeah. loot crate, yeah. yeah, exactly. And um, you can purchase loot crates, right? And yes. that, um, microtransaction is, thing, and then that is uh, yeah. something that uh, I think has been regulated precisely not because of well, that. not well, but that has come under scrutiny because of the fact that you can purchase a loot crate yes. and then. Now you have money involved in what is a probabilistic outcome, yes, <laughs> which is I mean, gambling, gambling. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. But because precisely because there is no mechanism for you to put money into the surprise trade system to yeah. get a Pokemon that you want, at least not legally, and yeah. uh, not, le- not 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 in game, you can obviously I do mean, that. Your, your golden goal yesterday, just saying. <laughs> Okay, so the story behind this is that the the golden goal that I I traded a shroomish for and I got a golden goal and the golden goal was named um, with the URL of um, a website. And you should not say it. I'm not going to say it, but basically it goes to a Discord server. Yes. And um, the Discord server, it has maybe about 120 people. Um, And I did not explore it. I was just like, Okay, what it's does probably the website actually? Hack
0: Pokemon into the into the game.
1: Yeah, but I I I am. That's the only way in which it makes sense because nobody is yes. freely giving out, Golden no. Go. So
0: so yeah. the transaction that you made for the Shroomish with the hack Golden Go is a classic example of the black mark <laughs> 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 of the right. dark web, right? Right. <laughs> Where yeah. you for drugs you have to pay Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: right, yeah. Oh, so, good
0: bounce sweet. Okay, I I don't actually have a bounce sweet, so this is new. I I have, yeah, I have it, the other two, uh, po- uh, uh, mango but I don't have bounce sweet. So, yeah, yeah. Right.
1: I think I don't remember if I. I think I ended up breeding a bounce sweet.
0: Yes, I was going to do that, but it's like, well, if it comes through on the on the surprise trade, yeah. so be it, and yeah. I'm sending it off again to bless someone else with a bounce sweet. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's see So I'm now, I think, 368
1: Yeah So actually, all my All my economics knowledge comes from Planet Money Which is an excellent Politics. podcast um, And I they, I mean, they talk very often about You know, these types of market matchings um, And obviously, this is something that I I think on a day-to-day basis We don't really have a Formal mechanism or framework to 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 think about it, but um, everything that <sighs> there there is there's so much um, stuff, I guess that or so much infrastructure that's built up around trying to maximize these kinds of these types of market efficiencies. I mean, yes. okay, one one example actually high frequency trading. Okay, yes, you're like, yes. what is the uh, what is the economic value of high-frequency trading? Right. Like, the, the only way you can think of, the only way in which it is, you know, having computers try and arbitrage um, price... Dif- uh, price okay, having computers try and optimize, you know, extract value out of the stock market using high-frequency trades. The only way, to me at least, that you can kind of like justify the activity is that you are indeed making markets more efficient right yes. you are you are helping um, the market arrive at the correct price yes um, but um, okay that's maybe an arcane example but yeah if you listen to Planet Money they have a lot of you know discussions about markets in the not necessarily exchanging money sense yep. um, job market literally Right? You're matching jobs to um, people who want to work, and yes. then you, it's not just that. I mean, it's like what you described. You have conditions, right? Like You need a certain set of skills, a certain availability, um, a certain, um, I guess, ex- workplace experience, um, and all of those things. And only when I don't know if I would say if, if a match is favourable. I mean, people take shitty jobs all the time. <laughs> okay, fair, <laughs> you know? Yes. Or people end up in jobs where um, people end up in jobs that are poor fits. Um, but that's really the equivalent of, you know, you 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 paid money for something that, and you didn't know what you were getting or you didn't check what you were getting, right? Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, it's still a... It's still a... <sighs> I mean, it's essentially... A, I think there is a term for it. I think they actually is it a matching market or something. I can't remember.
0: Um, yeah, but you probably know economics better than I do. <laughs> yeah. But not a yeah, single economics class in my life.
1: I, I, I took economics for approximately four weeks. And then four? I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so that's four weeks more
0: economics training than I have.
1: We got to the part about how money does not have inherent value. Okay. Which, Which is fair. It it was like I mean, so to be to be clear, what happened was that I took um I think I started in H two economics in yes. junior college. Uh <laughs> and then after four weeks I stopped. You, you, um, you were done. And I mean not that I was done. I actually thought it was quite interesting. I was just more interested in other things. <laughs> fair. <laughs> um and the the uh, the teacher was like, okay, you know, um, what is, is 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 money? This is like really like economics one hundred and one, right? You know, yes. you go to your first college lecture and it's you know setting the basis for how to think about economics.
0: The, sub, the fundamental assumptions. Station,
1: very yeah. yeah, the fundamental assumptions, and then you know, it's like okay, um, is money um, valuable in and of itself? and then you know somebody says oh yeah yes you know i like money i like to have money which is a very logical naive thing to say right like money is valuable because i want it and then, and then the teacher was like do you um like do you want money because like you like money as in like you like to hold it and feel it and smell it <laughs> And then the person uh, was like, "Oh no, uh, that's weird." <laughs>
0: I mean, well, that uh, that depends. Oh, I mean, if you're doing this to a to a room full of business majors, yes, indubitably, yeah, but, yes,
1: yeah. But I think <laughs> you know it gets the point across well that money is is, I mean, the economics one-on-one thing, right? That money is valuable. Yeah. Uh, it, it not in the sense that uh, you know like a plush toy, like the value of a plush toy is that it is nice to touch. Right. But yes. that's not why you want money. Generally. Um, right. Generally. Generally. I mean, I don't, multiple I don't know. With notable exceptions. I mean, yes, you know, um, <laughs> no judgment if that's what you like, I guess. Uh, and then we kind of got to the point of like, um, where, how do you, where does economic value come from? Right? And then it's like, okay, my floor is dirty. I have a broom and I sweep the floor. Um but um what other ways can I, you know. Goods and <laughs> and it's like, yeah, goods and services. And, that, yeah. and then you have like uh no, I mean n- not that, but it's more of um efficiency, productivity yes. maybe. Right. Right? right? right. Yeah, it's yeah, like okay, yeah, sense, um, yeah. From a broom you upgrade to a vacuum cleaner and then that is yep. a form of generating economic value because I'm really exhausting yeah. the
0: extent of my economics knowledge. That's it, that's part.
1: <laughs> okay. I mean that, that's what I learned in the first four weeks. That everything else came yeah. from Planet Money. Oh and um what is the other? Competitive advantage. Um but yeah, that's a
0: or you could different be like some undergrads who apply to college, go everything about economics they learn they learn from free economics. And then watch the interviewer's
1: face get increasingly more crestfallen. I mean, I think the thing about—I'm uh, I'm sure there are there are people who feel that way about Planet Money. That's true. right. Um, I think maybe Freakonomics is a little bit more, you know, because the 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 hook of Freakonomics is kind of like things that are unexpected, right? So it's it's in a sense, it's like oh, this is a way to think about economics that you have never thought of or like you know here is something unusual that can be explained with economics and then obviously that tends to be something that's a bit more um hkc hkc yeah um yeah. that doesn't necessarily represent the broad middle of what economics should be yes and planet and then, money then, you
0: know but people don't but a lot of people who, who read for economics don't recognize that they're learning about edge cases
1: yeah and i think the thing about Planet Money is that they are maybe uh, a bit more broad middle of economics. Okay, there's, right. uh, just the level of geekiness. Okay, it's like they have uh, these regular things called the Beji Awards. The Beji Awards. <laughs> what happens is uh, every... Uh, I, don't, I don't know the, the frequency. Every quarter maybe the Federal Reserve Banks of the United States each of the regional banks, right? Um, right. Chicago... San Francisco, New York, uh, Saint Louis. I, I don't. I don't know where they are actually. Um, wait a second. Give me a second. What is this? This is a. Checks. No, this will be a two segment dance pass. Oh, I still
0: have three right? segment dance pass. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Yes. I, oh, I, are you still
0: trading? I. I've. I've uh, I'm. I've,
1: I'm still trading, yeah.
0: I I was trading, but then I kept getting shit, so I'm like, okay, fuck it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a okay done sparse, but I have uh, a few two segments. To reading. Yeah. So, um, the thing is... And the thing is, um, with the Beijing Awards, is that yes. every um, quarter or whatever, I don't remember what's the frequency, um, the different f- Federal Reserve Banks, they publish a they publish um, a page book. Okay. And okay. the page book is essentially their, um, it is part of the, the reports that they generate right where the, the economists at the various reserve federal reserve banks go and interview people about what's going on in the economy uh, in the economy and this is part of the way that they keep a pulse on the economy. Right. And then they publish the trends and the more interesting findings that they have (laughs) and planet money they have um a regular Beijing awards (laughs) where they read the beige book yes and they give an award for like the most interesting like finding and uh and and they will call up the people at the federal the respective federal reserve bank to like give the award and <laughs> then these government no. economists have to be like yes I'm very honoured to receive the Beijing Award from NPR's Planet Money I mean that. so I think because of that maybe it is I would hope that because they are more about taking actual economists work and yes you know, publicising that.
0: That's hilarious.
1: That, that it's a bit more, you know, trying to make it palatable for a, for a mass yes. audience. Yes. That maybe it's a bit more um, in line with what economists actually Hopefully. Because think. Yeah, I, yeah. the problem is Freakonomics is
0: very popular with a certain pre-university set. Yeah. And it becomes very disheartening sort of, you know, when, when you talk to them and, and their
1: frame of reference is really not a very good source. Yeah, and I think it also has, you know, it sets very unreasonable expectations for what and how um, economics actually works, or yes. what economics is, and how you're supposed to to do it.
0: it. It perhaps speaks to a very, and, you know, we are running over time, but, you know, this this speaks to also a sort of very uh, juvenile way of thinking about the world, that, oh, you know, the establishment is wrong. and and Oh,
1: uh, yeah, you know. like, what, I what think we know about everything is wrong. It's really bordering into, you know, like, I'm going to induct you into a secret. Yes. Right? I like, mean,
0: it yeah. worked when we were kids with horrible histories. But, you know, we now, you know, we go on, we study history, we realize that actually what we know about history is not what, you know, horrible histories tells us. History is about sources and, and, and you know. Uh, I mean, uh, like
1: so many academic disciplines, history is a methodology.
0: It's a methodology, yes. Absolutely. Which yeah. actually, so I was, uh, 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 to digress a little bit, as as we always do, uh, mm. I gave my lecture on the history of natural history in Singapore, and it, I think, went down relatively well. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, it, you know, it got the ideas across that I wanted to get across. Obviously, ah. there were things that, that uh, I wanted to say that I didn't have time to get into. <sighs> uh, Sorry, the
1: happy noise is because I have a Dratini in a surprise trade. <laughs> I don't know how good it is, though.
0: But Dratini is a common yeah
1: they 're yeah, really and, common h uh, oh, right? yeah. p is no good <laughs> you can hyper- you can bottle cap that but yes so, um, <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I have like a f- few dragon knights at this point that 's yes.
0: so but yes so the you know the the lecture went o- went over well, and you know obviously I, I think this happens with every lecture right you, you you have a series of things you want to get into. And then you have to prioritize which is the most mm-hmm. important uh, thing that you have to. You know, everyone has to get before the lecture. And then here are the, the things that if you have time you can get into. Clearly, I couldn't go into the. I didn't have time to get into the whole issue of you know nationalism, natural history, mm. and national history. Yep. But at the same time, I think the students sort of got where I was trying to get uh, get to the idea that um, that when we examine the history of natural history, certain themes pop up repeatedly, uh, that are indicative perhaps of how uh, things are done and the way natural history is interpreted and mobilized uh, at the political level, at the national level as well. So we'll see. I've been sitting in for their lectures and it's been interesting watching the students sort of get used to this idea that a lot of the shibboleths that we learn about history in Singapore are more complicated than they actually are. And you can see some students are clearly sort of, they understand the complexities and some students are still
1: struggling to deprogram themselves. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you could, yeah. I would be curious about, I mean, obviously there are, uh, if you're talking about dealing with qualitative ambiguity, oh look, a magic cup. Um, so the the course that you're teaching, it's a... What academic discipline would you say it it's is closest to? to I mean, it's interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary but... Yes, yeah, it's history. Okay, so let's say it's history. But I think, you know, there are definitely disciplines that... In terms of method... If we're talking about academic disciplines as methodology, right? There are definitely some that are closer methodologically, right? So oh, you'd sure. expect like sociology, uh anthropology, literature students to be maybe more uh adept already um from their other from their academic background at yes. handling that kind of um maybe qualitative assessment. Yes. Um and others will be completely new to it and it's like blah, blah. How well, does I mean in
0: this case because because this is a Singapore study, Singapore studies class right I think one of the right. things I'm trying to get at is to 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 deprogram them from the secondary school social studies propaganda mm. that they've been exposed to right right you know, uh, I think <laughs> my co-instructor brought up Venice which is something that we did in sec- social studies yes right Venice as a model of good governance she was she was basically just saying I don't understand why they keep they keep retaining Venice in the syllabus. Uh, the history department keeps telling MOE to take Venice out because it is irrelevant.
1: <laughs> so, okay, this is, this is uh, interesting. Uh, and we'll wrap up because yes. we, we are running over time. Um, but <laughs> Civilization 5, which is a good way to come uh, back to where we started. Yes. Okay. Civilization 5 has a um, Venice yes. civilization. Right. And it is a very unusual, um, it's a very <laughs> unusual sieve because with civilization, right? I mean, I think most of the sieves in the game, the objective is to build an empire. Yes. And the empire typically constitutes a, of a land empire, right? You have cities, you expand your borders, and of course you can exert your influence in different ways. I mean, there's the point of sieve. You can exert your influence through culture, oh, you can exert your entry. influence... Military, diplomatic, or whatever. Yes. Um, Venice is built as a civilization that can only exert its influence economically, yes, and maybe diplomatically as well. I mean, okay, you can you can think of it as a no diplomatic, victory. Uh, I don't know if it's. I guess theoretically possible in Civ Five, but okay, but I haven't tried it i don't I don't think I've tried it, and um the reason that it is so and I, I mean of course all the civilizations have their biases right so like yes. Rome tends to be a very um land oriented civilization uh-huh. um, Portugal tends to be a very trade oriented organized um civilization and all that kind of thing so um Venice as a civilization has some very unique constraints. One is that it can only ever found one city.
0: Oh, wow. What? what? That is yes. a big constraint.
1: Because, yeah, so because there's a city state of Venice, right? Yes. Then the second um, thing that I can remember, I haven't played Civ 5 in a while, is that it has doubled the number of trade routes. Ah, so the yes. way that okay. trade routes work in Civ 5 and 6 is that um, at various points in the game, right? There are. Things that you can build or events that happen that allow you to run more trade routes than than usual. And, of course, this is an abstraction. Uh, it's an abstraction representing the amount of trade that a civilization has, right? Some, Yes. Some, if you think about the analog in real world terms, some countries trade more than others. Yep. And that is kind of represented by trade capacity. So yes. it you it can you can think of it as infrastructure merchant yeah merchant fleet. exactly or you can think of it like chambers of commerce right yes when you have like an organization that is dedicated to promoting trade okay increase one trade route yep. something like that yep. Yep. um so venice will have Florianism. double trading <clears throat> <clears throat> yes i mean Portugal is a trade civilization, so colonial civil. I mean,
0: yeah, I actually, so okay, I, I know we're over, but fuck it. Um, uh, I think a lot of the students were also unprepared for the discourse about colonialism. It was interesting to see because we you know we don't often talk about colonialism, in a cri- through a critical lens in the yeah we don't setting.
1: We don't, yeah, yeah. And I think okay, I mean, I I did, um. I did Southeast Asian history in right. JC Junior College where we do talk about colonialism, but the um, framing is
0: very different. The right?
1: framing is different. The framing is it's not a critical lens, right? It's a it's a it's a very I guess yeah, it's a very historical lens. Um it's I, I don't even know if I would call it a historical lens. It's 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 very um Chronology based still. Yes. Right? Yes.
0: A, yes. It's a, yeah. It's chronological. Yeah. So and I think. It doesn't really delve into sort of the drivers of colonialism.
1: The right. Of,
0: it's, it's the consequence of colonialism, basically.
1: In in a sense. But I think uh, Southeast Asian history itself um, presents a, a bit of a challenge because the. Did you do.
0: Um... I didn't do so but I know s- s- enough about Southeast Asian okay. history, I think, from.
1: Talking to historians, <laughs> right, right, because the way that is done, at the you know, at the A level, yes. um, level, right, at it's, the junior college level, refined, yeah, I feel, and so I, I, great. I think part of why it's not very refined is that it's not a natural grouping. No, it's not because collusive is such a it's such a you know a
0: complicated. Uh, it's had so many facets to it, right? It's a like single think phenomenon.
1: What I mean by that is that Southeast Asian history, the way that yeah. it's done at JC level at junior college level, is not a natural grouping. Right. It's that Indo-Chinese history, right? Yep. You can maybe make broad generalization, broad generalizations about Even it. Even that is rough. Even that is rough. Yeah, exactly. And then um, insular um, Southeast Asia, yep. right? You can maybe make broad generalizations yep. about it. And then the maybe other way before Sukarno, but before Sukarno, oh. right, right. That's also true. So then the other thing that you are looking at is because Southeast Asia um, was colonized by different powers. That's yes. another way that you can break it up, and in that in that sense, the Indo-Chinese grouping maybe makes a bit more sense, um, but not entirely because Vietnam, so, yes, um, correct, right, and then. Um, and even and then, then, you then consider Southeast Asia
0: Philippines. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So you have the Philippines, and then even if you break it up by colonial power, you have a very different treatment in Myanmar. Yes. Right, compared to Malaysia and Singapore. Yes. Right, and so it's very very hard to make broad strokes, correct um, arguments, and so Argus, if yeah, you are thematic, uh, uh, yeah, right, thematic and I think it's maybe easier or more um, more accurate maybe um, to make a more, okay, how about it's more intellectually honest, how about that, to huh. to take that historiographic lens um, on a smaller subset, right, to, to say, okay, let's talk about maybe history of Singapore and, colonial history of Singapore and Malaysia, something like that, right. right? Um, as opposed to say, let's talk about the colonial history of Southeast Asia, because the the types of questions that you're going to be asked is, you know, to what extent was, um, I'm making this up, right? To what extent was um, the Cold War a factor in the, decolon- the decolonization, you know, process of Southeast yep. Asia? And, there is you. You can't answer that question without breaking it down into the countries. That the point is not Southeast Asia anymore. No, nope. yep. right. You yep. you have to say okay. This is the impact that it had in Vietnam. This is the impact that it had in Singapore. This is the impact that it had in Indonesia. Right. right, and that's because of the
0: entanglements between, you know, the colonial authority versus local resistance movements, local, you know, independence movements, and so on and so forth. It, and it varies so much across the region. Even within the region, there's so much variance as well. Yeah, right, exactly. The independence movements of Papua versus the independence movements of, of Java and Sumatra, not the same. Aceh, <laughs> you know, even yeah. within Sumatra, you have Aceh, which is itself, it, right. its own kind of uh,
1: wampels, right? <laughs> so, uh, So uh, the thing is, because like this is the the history training that you'd get um, if you take Southeast Asian history in junior college. Right. So you are maybe prepared to talk about it from a purely uh, chronological, maybe a geopolitical standpoint, but not from a critical standpoint. Like what impact does it have on a society when this is the process of decolonization that you go through? Yeah. Right. And I think that ends up you know like a lot of singaporean students don't really have a framework for understanding this is how the colonial experience impacted yeah. singaporean society
0: and so when you are dealing with a, a a group of students i mean i have 15 students uh from different faculties right you can th- there is obviously a very going to be very clear imbalance in terms of who is more equipped to comment on some of these issues and who is less prepared uh, just purely because of their background, right? So yep. all the STEM students are going to be like, oh, you know, uh, many of my STEM students were surprised that the term third world comes from the non-aligned movement. It's mm. not, you know, referring to, to absolute GDP to like, or wealth yeah. or whatever. It's yeah. it's coming from the Cold War, yep. right? Uh, whereas the history students like, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> they were made to study it. And, and so it was interesting because the the align movement had major uh, impacts also on the uh, development of art and culture in Southeast Asia. Um, right. The idea of, you know, rejecting uh, colonial ways of seeing and stuff like that. So it's, it's it was very interesting sort of uh, uh, teaching this class because obviously you're catering to a very broad sort of swath of, of expert, uh, students with different expertise. Yeah. Uh, and, and the question then becomes, okay, how do we, you know, maintain the interest levels of everyone in the class without going over people's heads? Because there were points in time where students, some of the, the STEM students were very clearly confused um, yeah. because we were going into, is, uh, you know, topics and content that, that they had never encountered before. And, you know, I thought that, that that my experience as a STEM student would would help to to moderate this. But then I realized that I'm not your usual STEM student.
1: Uh, yeah, you don't say.
0: <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, I, I like going to museums And we were talking about history of art in Southeast Asia In Singapore mm-hmm. in particular uh, And then, you know, the instructor went on about Oh, Liu Kang and the Four Heavenly Kings And George Chen and the Nanyang School And then you could see people Some people's faces just blank Because they had no idea who George Chen uh, yeah. was Right? And, and they'd never been to the National Gallery And the problem was also that we were (coughs) talking about this in the context of the NUS Art Museum, which Mm -hmm. is a university art museum, so it's more experimental. Right. It's not a general public sort of art museum, in that, general public, general members of the public do not come to the NUS Museum for an art education. They go to the National Gallery, they go to the Art Museum, the Singapore Art Museum, which, well, wherever the hell it is right now. Um, And so. Uh it was this real life. You know, this week this week we're teaching the course for the first time, right? So a lot of it yeah. is figuring out what the baseline is and then calibrating accordingly. Uh we were trying to figure out in real time, okay, how do we get across these ideas to an audience that doesn't necessarily have the fundamental background to understand mm. a lot of the fundamentals.
1: Survey so courses are very difficult. To but this is not to. a survey
0: course, right? This is a, a 200, 300 level course.
1: Interesting. Okay, that's
0: different. But it's interdisciplinary. So it's, you know, it's 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 cross-faculty. So that therein lies the problem, you see. Right. So we did have to spend a bit of time talking about, you know, the Danyang School and, and Georgette Chen and, and, and how a lot of um, Singapore art during the uh, independence period, the, the 50s, 60s, right, uh, was part of this, a complex search for identity, right? Right. But also how it was very often structured by Chinese voices because a lot of the prominent painters of the time were Chinese. Right. Right, so... Sorry, uh, hang on, I just briefly lost my earphones. One second. And so, yes, so how, you know, a lot of the prominent painters at the time were Chinese, so the, the lens through which nation building was was uh, 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 a uh, especially you know aesthetically was Chinese and male right right so yeah, I, I thought it was very fascinating, but a lot of students uh, didn't quite follow it took a while for them to get it. but this week we talked about um, uh, uh, cultural development okay right, the Renaissance city plan, and this one everyone got okay. Everyone was much more involved with this because I think they have seen this, uh, it, you know, more, uh. more sort of uh, uh, in, in their sort of uh, uh, lived experience, shall we say. Right? Yeah, I
1: was going to say, like, it's a lot more recent.
0: Yeah, the Esplanade, you know, uh, all these, uh, 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 I mean, through MEP and CAP still a thing, I don't know. You know. But they have experienced this through their, their school life, right, efforts to promote arts and culture. And so ways just this
1: for is, yeah. context, because I think MEP and CAP oh, are not really um, common music acronyms. Music program and yeah. creative arts program. Yeah, music elective program where you take um, O-level or A-level music and then creative arts program is, uh, I don't know if it's still a thing. I don't but even know if it's a yeah. Yeah, but it's basically a program where um, people who are interested in creative writing generally creative writing although I mean it's I guess its remit is a bit broader than that but I think it's primarily but writers most of its
0: yeah, main outputs were, were writers yeah yeah
1: um, yeah. they get mentorship to write oh, yes. <laughs> and that's targeted at I believe secondary school students CAP is primarily yes, a secondary yes, school thing so. right yeah
0: so in, in that you know we were talking about how um, and this is something that we, we ourselves talked about when we were in secondary school I think you know, the idea about um, uh, developing Singapore's cultural and I, I know, artistic and heritage identity becomes challenging because we don't have critical mass. Right? Why did Wayang why die off? Well, because the audience is dying out. And, and if right. you don't have an audience, when you don't have a critical consumer base, then you can't make money from these things. And then, therefore, these industries don't sustain themselves very well.
1: Right. Yeah, I and mean, so, I yeah. I would be curious to know if, um, I don't know. Okay, so if this is, if we we really need to wrap up because we're coming yes. up on one and a half hours. Because, yes. okay, the thing about the critical mass, right? I mean, you can make the argument that there are countries that are smaller that are able to sustain a domestic arts industry, which is not to say that Singapore doesn't have a domestic arts industry. We do. Um, although, I think with any of these types of, um, you know, domestic industries, again, in order to find that mass, right, you kind of have to appeal to what is the largest um, demographic audience. So I I guess, you know, uh, what is the population of Norway, for example? I think it's actually smaller population-wise. But you could make the argument... That demographically, it might be a bit more homogeneous. Yes. Right? And so, well, it the will... The way I
0: framed it was that, okay, it, it's not, obviously, it's, you know, it's not just a critical mass thing, but the the, the parts of Singapore culture that tend to be supported by the government mm-hmm. and tend to do well yep. are the ones that can find a market beyond just Singapore. So, food. Yes,
1: yes. So
0: Food being classic, an you know, example, you know. Anthony Bourdain, the new Times Square food court, and all that, right? And, but other industries will suffer yeah. unless they are either, well, you know, like food, easily commod- commodifiable, commoditizable, or uh, if they fit into existing Western frameworks of what art is. So
1: Yes, user. okay. Yeah, for sure. So I think that one, that is an interesting point because... Uh it is not restricted to uh okay. So you know what? I have a proposal. <laughs> Since we are running up against the the half hour, yeah. W- the half hour, let's just go for two hours and then we okay. skip we skip uh, the yeah. March podcast. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> um yeah. Um okay, so what is what's interesting about this is that this is a dilemma that is not exclusive to the arts. Um why I say that is because it's been observed that Singaporean startups have the same problem. That you can from inception, right, if your market is Singapore, um you will always come up against the you know six point five million market size problem. And that's not um that's not something that you can really it's 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 a tough sell to investors, especially if you are looking at investors outside of Singapore. To say that yes, we are we are selling to the 6.5 million people who who live on the island, right? Um, and so almost yeah. from inception, Singapore startups have to f- think of a approach, right, that is going to serve the broader uh, that is going to either serve a global market from the beginning. Or more realistically, it's going to serve Southeast Asia, but even that is a big challenge because while Singapore might be a good place for headquarters, all right, yes. it is the um, the talent market in Singapore is very different. Yes, um, the the your your target market in Singapore is likely to be very different. So, like one observation that I think um, was it Lazada when Lazada right. started, Lazada is actually um, start. I think, if I remember correctly, it was started by a German incubator, actually. Rocket Internet, I think. I could be wrong about this. is that
0: right? Okay.
1: Uh, And I think it's Rocket Internet that that started it. And um, their model, essentially, is taking... um, You know, you think about the big tech companies that have... Oh, yeah. So, yeah. uh, According to Wikipedia, it says... Founded by Rocket Internet um, Interesting Their model the Rocket Internet's model Right Is essentially Taking a um, The Business models Of tech companies That have succeeded In more mature markets yep. Right And trying to apply them To less developed markets mm. and, um, and I mean This is something That I kind of You know When I was in When I was in New York You buy everything On Amazon right? You develop that habit. And then when I came back to Singapore, I was like, what is the, because Amazon didn't have a big presence in Singapore at the time. I was like, what is the equivalent? Like if I want to just, you know, buy something online, where do I go? Um, And for me, at least it became, Lazada became like my default. I mean, I guess now Shopee is the other one. Um, And I think I remember reading somewhere that when Lazada started and their remit is not just Singapore, right? Because they are they are looking at the broader Southeast Asian market. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And if you think about something like cashless payments, right? Singapore yes, is a yes. lot has a lot more infrastructure yeah. around that. And I think when correct. they started in, I think Indonesia, they ended up doing like cash on delivery because that's yes, what correct that target market is works. ready for. Yes. Yeah, that's what people correct. expect. That's what people are ready to do. Um, and things like that. And uh, I mean, obviously, maybe a lot has changed post-COVID. I mean, we are talking about, you know, 10 years ago, um, yep. what how, how they started to get a foothold in the market. But, um, and it goes back to the thing about Southeast Asia not being monolithic. It is very diverse, right? Yes. Um, in history and social behaviours and in in all those things. And so it is um, coming back to, you know, when you are trying to build something that requires a critical mass of an audience, whether that is a company or whether that is a following as a cultural um, institution of some kind. Right. Right. Um, it's kind of why there is the leaning towards, okay, we, we either... We we want to build cultural um, entities that have a broad appeal that we can kind of export out of Singapore. Yeah. So um, I was thinking there's that element of it. Those are the things that get funded, right? Yes. And okay, here's the other side of it because I'm thinking, okay, what is a good... We, we talked about how, you know, briefly mentioned that, okay, Norway maybe... Um, comparable in size but a lot more homogeneous relatively speaking culturally homogeneous we should mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. so okay if you say if you what what's what's a good comparison in that case if you think about something like New York City, which is yeah. super vibrant right and you have yes. all these tiny creative communities or tiny cultural communities very vibrant a lot of grassroots support yeah uh, and so on and so forth the the Problem with that comparison, though, is that I think I don't know whether this is a side effect of. I don't know whether this is a side effect of um, New York City not being a country, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? But I think in New York City, they, it's built a reputation as being this is an extremely diverse place, right? Right, mm-hmm. we um don't necessarily want to promote a sense of you know there is a, a a feeling that you know two people can belong to completely different um cultural communities never right. shall the twain meet right but both are equally new yorker hmm. and i think this is a model that singapore does not want because they very much want as much intermingling as possible, and so I think there is a rejection of the idea that we want to build niche cultural communities. Right. Which I say we, meaning the powers that be, right? Right. Because right, I yes. think you know these are these are kind of trends that would form naturally. Which is you know okay, let's have a um, let's um, build a community of. I am just making this up at this point. Um, you know, there is a small uh, Hokchew community and we want to maintain our Hokchew culture. And I think that mm-hmm. is something that is very unpalatable mm. from a nation-building point of view. Because yeah. the last thing you want is fragmentation yes. of cultural identity.
0: Siloification of these communities. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. But then the downside of this is that you have a um not necessarily a productive blending of culture. You mm-hmm. have a rather a forced assimilation of culture. And this, this is what you should be as a Singaporean. Yes. And this is what we will accept. And this is what we will fund. Yes. I mean,
0: obviously that, you know, we don't even, we haven't even gotten into all these issues with politics of what is acceptable to the state as well. Things like Charlie Chan, Hok Chai, which... Arguably one of our most successful aesthetic uh, productions, yeah. Right, three Eisner awards, and,
1: and a very that, successful export as well.
0: Yes, Censured by the state. Right? Yeah, for for obviously not saying the things that the state wants to say, which <laughs> to say. we
1: will put on the the show notes. Yes, uh, and I think also um, I want to say there is a. Uh, so this is the other thing, where. Um, Ah uh, Sandcastle movie. Ah yes. Is it Sandcastle? Was am it? I am uh, I imagining things? Shit, I can't remember. Yes, yes. Twenty ten by Bu Jun Feng. So ah, yes, um okay. the thing about the export, right? Is that firstly, if you start from the assumption that something that is too Singaporean um doesn't have a global market, then mm. um that's somewhat of a problem, um because you're limiting your your um ability to get funding, that's one thing. Right. But um it actually it turns out that if you are strategic about it and you can kind of prove the assumption wrong or re examine that assumption and you're able to um sell what is essentially a Singaporean cultural product. Mm-hmm. To a non-Singaporean audience That mm. actually can be protective Right mm. Because that's To to some extent That's what Sandcastle did um, It is very much a. I, I wouldn't say that It's a film on the margin But It's a film that Was given more leeway Because It um, Was screened at Cannes
0: Right Okay, okay. Right
1: oh, was, um, oh I see Okay Yeah and I think to some extent, Charlie Chan Hok Chai, even though it was, you know, not um, well received by the powers that be, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that it won Eisner Awards, like, it, that has a protective effect. Like, it makes right. it so that it, you have to pay some attention to it. Yes. Right? Like, and it, yes. it kind of, you know, um, ah, it gives that… But the pulling of the funding occurred before the
0: Eisner Awards were won.
1: That's true. Mm. But I think it becomes like, okay, so you win the Eisner Awards and now people, it has that that stamp of approval, right? Yes. And um, then it becomes like, okay, um, it is easier for people who are interested in it Mm -hmm. to say, or people who want to promote it, right? Yeah. To say, ah, but it is not that the funding is clearly not being pulled for artistic reasons, right? Right. You are not. It's or or for economic reasons. You you are not. Mm. You know. You you cannot make the argument that a non-Singaporean audience is not interested, and you cannot make the argument that it is not good enough to be funded. Right. 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 Yes. So. I think this is, um, maybe I, I would say that I, I feel like in the 2000s, there was an assumption that it would be very difficult to make Singaporean, Singaporean art um, that travel outside of Singapore.
0: Well, and I, then, okay, I... Th- I, I mean, I don't think that was really the case. So the the, the, the context in which we were discussing these, uh, you know, this issue was in the context of the three what we call Renaissance City Reports. These were reports that uh, were okay. commissioned by the government, by, by, by Mika, right, as right? it used to be called. Right, and, and it used to be, yeah. Right, uh, you know, to try to... It was basically a roadmap to transform Singapore's sort of arts landscape, right, to develop it. This was, I think, in response to the first report, which was... Or at least some UNESCO report that said that Singapore had a dearth of you know uh, arts venues and facilities, and that um, uh, the economic growth of the city state uh, uh, meant that the arts were neglected. And you know, and, and this was the government's sort of response to that, where it said, okay, right, then we'll build Esplanade the of the Bay, we we'll build the School of the Arts, we'll do all this mm-hmm. as a way of re, you know revitalizing and rejuvenating Singapore's arts scene and arts industry. Uh, it's very interesting and, and and the student that presented about the report uh, was a business student and mm-hmm. he very clearly picked up on the, uh, the financial element of it because the reports, all three reports were very heavy on the numbers on, yes. on uh, economic, uh, economic, yes. uh, angles. And so he was exactly the perfect person to talk about it it's because it was all about, you know, um, what is the, yeah, you know, it's, it's basically just all about economics. Right. And, and it's interesting therefore to see how the, the state frames, um, uh, uh, cultural and heritage development purely in, in, through the lens of money. Yes. <laughs> right. And Is I mean,
1: with, I... Yeah. I remember reading one of these um, when I was working at uh, NAC. Yes. That was in 2010. So probably I read the third one. Um, 2008, yeah. Would have been the third one, I yeah. think. So, <laughs> I mean, I recall essentially the argument being... One of the things that kind of stuck out to me was like, oh, you know, um, um, without a good arts venue, right? You cannot a- attract like big touring acts, and then if you cannot attract big touring acts, right, then Singapore will lose out on things like academic talent, right? Professors, um, cultural luminaries, you know, people who want to be in a place where they can have have access to you know the latest musicals or. Um, yes. the, the, the latest like bands, musicians, performance, whatever. So it's, it's kind of, yeah, that, that, um, that report, right, is very much a this is the economic value of the arts to Singapore as a society and very little on the inherent value, I think, yep. of what good can art do for Singapore as a society? Correct. Right. And also
0: remember, right, that was also around the time, was it around the time when uh, SSO was trying to do a massive international push as well, showing up at the BBC proms, etc., <laughs> etc. <cetera>, et
1: <laughs> right. I have less of a recollection of that, I think.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. It, 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 you know, I mean, this topic, obviously, not my topic. I wasn't teaching it. And, and it's not something that I'm, in, 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 you know, super familiar with. But it was interesting to see that the students really picked up on this and were able to have a really robust discussion about um, the politics of cultural and heritage production. Right. Right, And the economics as well, fundamentally, of heritage and, 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 and uh, cultural production.
1: Right. And I think um, because yeah. this is something that has changed massively in their lifetime. If you yes. think about the ability, when we think about cultural production, it used to be Theater, music, like touring artists, orchestras, that kind of thing, art galleries, and so on, right? And now, like, creative um, outlets are so much easier to come by. That right. I think, I think, like, they're maybe more in tune with the idea that, um. You know, I I I don't know. I mean, this is maybe pushing it a bit because the students will be in the age range of eighteen uh, to twenty three, yeah, right, maybe twenty five depending. And um, yeah, and so you are looking at people who, over the course of their their lives, they will have seen the rise of YouTube, TikTok. Well, or- if you if
0: you want to, you know, if you want, oh god, the thing that really took a back the instructors, at least one of the instructors who's slightly older, um, she brought up Wayang. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the class knew what the hell Wayang was. They thought Wayang could it. They, they, <sighs> they had no frame of reference for like, you know, Catanese opera, Teochew opera, Hokkien opera. Yeah, Zero. You know, no memory of these Wayang stages. And so yeah. I had to like, okay, when we go to Pulau Ubin uh, later on in March, I will show you the last permanent freestanding Waiyang stage in Singapore. <laughs> because right. all, not a single one had any idea what Waiyang was, which was frankly horrifying.
1: Right. I mean, I, I, I obviously wonder... Obviously, it's the, same the times, though. Yeah. I wonder to what extent like the... Because in, in a sense, they have more access to the global repository of culture than they've yes. ever had before. And I kind of wonder that you know, like, the fact that the the contrast, right, is much more, I guess, available <laughs> um, between what you can find on the internet and what you can... I, I'm not articulating this very well. I think what I'm trying to get at is that previously when producing art was a much more slow-moving process,
0: much more it, local processes. And right? much more like you local. Want to go watch a play, you go yeah. to a theatre. Right. A local theatre and you watch a play. Now, YouTube has whole ass plays.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think when that distinction is so much more acute, because we we're talking about how they are much more, uh, um, they caught on to the Renaissance City plan, right? And its implications yeah. much more quickly. And even yeah. that, it was done in 2008. 2008, YouTube was barely a thing at the time. Uh um, I think it was
0: two thousand and two, four, and eight, if I'm not mistaken. So there were three. Uh, yeah, reports.
1: yeah, yeah. The the third report it says I mean I'm looking at um the NSC's website. the yeah. third report is like two thousand eight to twenty twelve. Oh,
0: okay, okay, okay.
1: So it's like I mean the first report was pre YouTube. <laughs> yes. Right. Very so much so. I think for for people who, you know, are in the age range of your students, the the um, distinction between art that you go and see in person and art that you consume is actually quite acute, and mm. I think maybe that is part of why they are. It's easier for them to, you know, catch on to why the Renaissance City Plan is significant.
0: Right, right, and you know the the, the sort of the thinking that went. I mean. The classes on curating, right? So the sort of thinking that went behind how these industries were curated, in the sense, at the state level, um, and also then on the ground level, so things like the necessary stage. Yeah, yeah. Right, and how sort of the, the cultural conditions of the time led to this upwelling of certain forms of aesthetic exp- expression, and how that also then either synergized or conflicted with the way the, the state wanted these aesthetic forms to, to materialise and manifest in a economically coherent sense.
1: And I think there's a separate question about um, the physical building as a symbol. Because, oh, I mean...
0: Oh, we absolutely. We spent so much time talking right? about architecture as well, yes.
1: So, I mean, I'm sure you remember this because the Esplanade um, was built during um, when we were in secondary school. It was finished when yes. we were in secondary school. Yes. So... Um, and there was, you know, there is that whole discussion about, like, is this worth the time and effort? Why mm-hmm. do we have it? What's the point? Blah, blah, blah. That kind of thing. And then uh, there are two comparisons, easy comparisons that I can think of. One is Sydney Opera House. Yes. Right. It's a kind of like the rite of passage of a city, right? Like when a city wants to announce itself, it's on the global stage. Okay. The other one is um, the Guggenheim in Bilbao. Yes. Right. It's yep. like yep. we want to establish ourselves as a city of culture. Like you know, we want to put ourselves the on the late international the stage.
0: The late 2000s was a period where there was a lot of hand wringing about iconic architecture and how boring our skyline was. Right. Hence, um Marina Bay Sands. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, who was the architect? The Israeli architect that designed the Art Science Museum. I can't remember his name now right but you know Masha's... all these big names Moshe Safdi that's right Moshe yes. Safdi Zahadi I am Pei you know uh, yeah the fact that we, we we recruited a lot of these big name architects to design the city speaks so, to the anxiety over <laughs> yeah. over our uniqueness and distinctiveness
1: so the thing is Bilbao had the exact same thought right like we want to establish mm. ourselves as a cultural destination yeah. bring in Guggenheim and obviously after Guggenheim Bilbao is the is it the Dubai or Abu Dhabi that now also has a yes they have a Guggenheim Hermitage well, yeah. or oh, yeah Hermitage uh, one or the other the place,
0: yeah. yeah
1: yeah then um, Sydney Opera House I guess you know that's uh, another example an older example um, but the one that is for me top of mind because I just visited I just visited it last year um, the Elk Philharmonie. In mm. Hamburg. So, okay. um, London has the Barbican as well? Right. But I think, okay, for London, movie, I think yeah. it, th- it's less pressing for London because, True. And, and for New York because yes. they have places like Royal Albert Hall, you know, yes. like, or, or in the case of um, New York, you have Carnegie Hall, which architecturally, not such a huge deal, but because it has that storied history yeah that yeah. people will still want to go there yeah um so the Hamburg case is interesting because um obviously i it it okay it kind of makes me um think about it's very similar in trajectory, I think to the esplanade, although arguably even more um drawn out, oh <laughs> wait, this is. The Esplanade, the waterfront, and not Esplanade, the theater. Give me a second. Let me fix the show notes. So, the thing about um, the Elkful Harmony is when I went to Hamburg, we did like the tour and everything, and um, there is a. Uh, sorry, I'm wrangling show notes while doing this. I am so, not being paying attention to show notes. Sorry. No, it's it's cool. My so the thing. Switch. <laughs> so. Um, the thing about the thing about um, the Harmony was Hamburg historically has been a hundred percent commercial city. Right, it's like a port market town, is it? Not a market town, a port, a port city. Port, okay, port, right, okay, right, yes. So, yes. Um, I mean, it's to the extent that if you read about like Hamburg history, they basically say they talk about you know that Hamburg like commercial families, essentially. Um, right. It is uh, a city that was entirely dominated by commerce, by trading companies, right, like trading of goods, not trading mm. as in stocks or whatever. Yes. Um, to the extent that, you know, when 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 I was in Hamburg and, you know, walking around and trying to situate myself, right, um, something that was very confusing is that Hamburg's City Hall and Hamburg's Chamber of Commerce
0: mm-hmm.
1: they are I think basically the same building oh okay huh. um, if they are not the same building they are essentially back to back right Right. so that you'll be like oh, is, is this a City Hall or is this a Chamber of Commerce I don't actually you know it's it's, it's, it's the City yeah. of Commerce <laughs> <laughs> it is a City of Commerce and I think um there was some hand wringing in Hamburg about how, oh no, you know, um the world is changing, we are no longer a preeminent port city, or you know, uh, if we want to make our mark on the global stage and not have people think of us as purely like um a port, right? Yes. Like how do we kind of signal that? Yes we are more than just ships passing through right and Either um <laughs> ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and um the kind of solution was um the elp Philharmonie. right which is an orchestra um an orchestra hall yes. that is um built on the location of a former warehouse.
0: Right, so if right, you look right, at the
1: helpful harmony, right, it has that construction where it, obviously there's the glittery stuff on top, then yes. below that is a former warehouse okay, ships would okay. come through, and they, they would dump all their stuff into right. the warehouse um, and it had a kind of troubled construction history. The budget ballooned to three times its original budget, Whoa. lots of problems um there is um okay. And I mean There's stuff in there That is just like It has the world's Longest Curved escalator <laughs> You're know, like Why? Yay. Oh because Hamburg is a city of, of You color. know The sea <laughs> And we want to make it Like full of waves oh, okay, Right I oh, get Jesus it Christ. I mean It The escalator is uh, Like two and a half minutes long Or something I mean. like <laughs> that it's measured Uh, in the time time, that it takes for you to travel through it, Um, and then inside the concert hall itself something about how like no two panels are the same because you know they had it customized uh, acoustic design firm like customized every single panel that had to be handmade and like the the glass panels like only this one company in Italy can produce the glass and right yeah all that kind of stuff Um, They really went big on it. And the same discussion about how is it really worth it? Are we that kind of like, you know, chi-chi city that has to build this kind of thing to attract attention? Aren't we just down-to-earth business people? Can't we, you know, trade on our reputation as like solid down-to-earth Northern Europeans, right? (laughs) This Germans. is literally This is literally what And not even just Germans Right, right. It's, They are northern Germans yes. From Hamburg Like none yes. of that Neuschwanstein Bavarian nonsense <laughs> This is literally what The tour guide said to us They're like You know we At least we
0: the t t-shirt None of that Neuschwanstein Bavarian nonsense
1: <laughs> Right No but the tour guide At the Philharmonie Was like You know We take a lot of pride And like We are like Protestants Yes. Northern Germans. Oh my God. <laughs> right? We are like, we, we want, uh, there, there was this whole thing. And somebody asked, like, you know, um, this is, she made a big deal about how, like, um uh, there is so much wood in this building because, you know, we don't want, like, marble and opulence and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, wow. there is, you know, I know, I know, right? Looking at the Philharmonic <laughs> building, but it's this idea that, oh, wood is welcoming. Right? Like look at all the yes. wood that in, 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 in this. Uh, wood is
0: welcoming. This... That's another another T shirt.
1: <laughs> yeah. And what she kind of said was that we are, you know, Hamburg is a city of um it is traditionally not been a it's a it's a free city of um Hamburg. Like that's the full name of the free and Hanseatic city of Hamburg. Yes. Because traditionally it's not been ruled by a monarch. Right. Right, when you look at the history of the Holy Roman Empire with its hundred, you know, dukes and princes and (laughs) God knows what, traditionally, Hamburg has not been ruled by a monarch. They are very proud of that. The idea that, you know, Hamburg is like somehow more egalitarian than some of its surrounding principalities. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Yeah. And yeah, and so that's why there was such resistance to that. Why do we need a monument? (laughs) <laughs> when they built the monument, they spent like a billion dollars on it. And they insist that we are building this to be as down-to-earth as possible. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> right? But um, it is kind of stunning the degree to which it's completely taken over as the symbol of Hamburg. Like the postcards yeah. of Hamburg. Yes, you have some that are still of the port. But so many of them are just Elpful Harmony equals Hamburg Yes Right? In the same way that Times Square equals New York Right, right, right Or, um, I mean, we have somebody who just moved over from the Hamburg office um, In the Singapore office In my company now And literally this week I saw, oh, there's a new magnet on the office fridge Of the Elpful Harmony Oh it's oh, like nice. <laughs> Yeah, it's like okay. This is my um you know, I've come from Hamburg and this is my gift to you. Right. A magnet you know, of the <laughs> Philharmony. So the yeah, this is a separate discussion about, you know, the cultural value of buildings and buildings as a as a kind of unifying force. And I guess what the symbol and a marker and a, yeah. a a a marker of also aspiration and uh, the right. uh, yeah. And I think it's significant the degree to which like, these are often resisted at the beginning and the moment they are up, they overnight kind of become, become a... Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, yes. Even so, if, you know, it's yeah. like horribly over budget, horribly over schedule, right. everything. But of course,
0: a lot of these things have to be centrally planned, which was basically the, the focus on, of, of last week's class, which is that, you know, how a lot of the, the cultural development of Singapore is not organic it's yes, planned, right? and it's the thing curated. is,
1: the thing is that Philharmonia, I believe, is not. Um, I mean, obviously there is you know the city buy-in, yes. uh, But I think I I'm not sure. Like there was a lot of private involvement. Oh no, for sure, for sure. And um, we talk about
0: this as well in, in the context of Singapore, right? In fact, the the Renaissance City Report talks about private investment in uh, 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 Singapore's cultural Hence, you know, M1. Being a major sponsor right. of 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 arts fest, oh yeah, yeah, Fairs, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, among other things, and then you know we talked. To, I think we didn't really get to this in the class, but things like pink dot and the whole issue of foreign involvement. And oh stuff. yeah, but but you you see how a lot of at least in the context of Singapore, a lot of these you know uh, the idea of cultural development and heritage development in Singapore is is managed. Yep. Right. And then uh, next week, well this week's uh class is then gonna be looking at the the other side, right? The the community angle. Where does the community fit in within the context of of heritage management? Um and how do we reflect the community's voice in uh, uh, uh in, in heritage management as well. And heritage. Right. So we're bringing them to the National Museum. Yeah. Yeah. So uh... I think you know, this is a fun class. I I'm really enjoying this class. That's good uh and it's i mean I, I like I said, this is a class I would have loved to have taken as a student, and now I get to 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 teach this class basically yeah and and it's just really nice to see that the students are settling in into you know uh uh they they're speaking up a lot more, the discussion has become very vibrant, partly also because the uh, the instructors uh we all agreed we would shut up more <laughs> and the students uh talk more. Which I think is working, but it's also that
1: students are getting more used to this. So I think that's it's good. good. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I think okay. we really need to yeah wrap we up. we need to wrap up. So okay. Anyway, it's very unexpected. I mean, Monkey Mind. That's it's, the whole point. We we talk about uh, whatever comes to mind. Um, uh, all right. So this is episode thirty-five of uh, and- Monkey Mind, <laughs> and I guess thirty-six as well. I'm I'm probably going to just release it in one big chunk. Right. And um, yeah. This is... Um, you can find the... Sh- blah, blah, blah. I cannot English. You can find the show notes for this episode at monkeymind.xyz slash 035. And we will see you in two months because we're not doing this again next next Because we are busy, people. We are busy. Very busy. Okay. Busy. All right. Yes. Cool. <laughs>